0: Hello my friends, today we will be talking about uh, when Joseph learns that Mary has conceived. We will be reading from the poem of the man-god, volume 1, Maria Valtorta, and we begin where Joseph has arrived in Jerusalem. He's gone there to pick up Mary, who's been staying with Elizabeth and Zacharias, uh, awaiting the birth of uh, St. John the Baptist. He has arrived to pick her up. And he immediately notices her condition. But being a gentleman and a dignified and kind man, he makes no comment to her, even though he is greatly troubled by what he sees. He speaks with her kindly. He tells her he is ready to bring her back home to her house in Nazareth, where he's been working to prepare it and to prepare her garden for her. And he brings her all the way home however he doesn't come and visit her in the evenings as he used to do and mary is deeply troubled because she understands that joseph has not yet been made aware by the holy spirit that she is carrying the son of god we begin reading on page 124 my joseph suffered his passion it began in jerusalem when he noticed my condition and it lasted several days exactly as it had happened to jesus and to me Neither was it less painful for his soul, and only because of the holiness of my just spouse it was contained in such a dignified and secret form that it has been hardly noticed throughout centuries. Oh, our first passion, who can feel its intimate and silent intensity? Who can describe my pain when I realized that heaven had not yet heard my prayer by revealing the mystery to Joseph? I understood that he was not aware of it when I saw that he was respectful to me, as usual. If he had known that I bore in me the word of God, he would have adored that word enclosed in my womb, with the acts of veneration which are due to God, and which he would not have failed to accomplish, as I would not have refused to receive, not for my own sake, but for him who was within me, and that I bore as the Ark of the Alliance carried the stone coat and the vases of manna. Who can measure my struggle against the dismay that endeavored to overwhelm me in order to convince me that I had hoped in vain in the Lord? Oh, I think it was the furious rage of Satan. I perceived doubt rising behind my back and stretching its icy claws to imprison my soul and prevent it from praying. Doubt is so dangerous and lethal to the spirit. It is lethal because it is the first agent of the deadly disease called despair, against which we must react with all our strength so that our souls may not perish and we may not lose God. Who can truly tell Joseph's pain, his thoughts, the perturbation of his feelings? Like a little boat caught in a great storm, he was in a vortex of conflicting ideas, in a turmoil of reflections, of which one was more piercing and painful than the other. He was, to all appearances, a man betrayed by his wife. He saw his good reputation and the esteem of his world collapse around him. Because of her, he saw scornful fingers pointed at himself and felt pitied by the village people. Above all, he perceived that his love and esteem for me had fallen, struck to death before the evidence of a deed. In this respect, his holiness shines brighter than mine and I give this witness with the affection of a spouse, because I want you to love my Joseph, this wise, prudent, patient, and good man, who is not separated from the mystery of redemption. On the contrary, he is so closely connected to it, because he suffered for it, consuming himself in sorrow for it, saving your Savior at the cost of his own sacrifice, because of his holiness. Had he not been so holy, He would have acted in a human way, denouncing me as an adulteress so that I should be stoned, and the son of my sin should perish with me. If he had been less holy, God would not have granted him his light as guidance in his trial. But Joseph was holy. His pure spirit lived in God. His charity was ardent and strong. And out of charity he saved your Savior for you, both when he refrained from accusing me to the elders, and when he saved Jesus in Egypt, leaving everything with prompt obedience. The three days of Joseph's passion were short in number, but deep in intensity, and they were tremendous also for me, those days of my first passion, because I was aware of his suffering, which I could not alleviate. In fact, I had to obey God's command, who had said to me, Be silent. And when, after we arrived in Nazareth, I saw him go away with a laconic good-bye, and bent as if he had aged in a short time, and I noticed that he no longer came to see me in the evenings, as he used to do, then I tell you, my children, that my heart wept very bitterly. Closed in my house all alone, in the house where everything reminded me of the Annunciation and the Incarnation, And where everything reminded me of Joseph, married to me with spotless virginity, I had to fight despair and Satan's insinuation and hope, 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 and pray, 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 and forgive, forgive, forgive. Joseph's suspicion, his disturbance, and just despair. My children, it is necessary to hope, to pray, to forgive to obtain God's intervention in our favor. You must live your passions because you deserved them with your sins. I can teach you how to overcome them and turn them into joy. Hope beyond measure. Pray with confidence. Forgive to be forgiven. God's forgiveness will be the peace you desire, my children. Now we continue with the scene where Joseph goes to speak with Mary. Mary is spinning in the shade of a very thick apple tree, overloaded with apples. Her face is as pale as ivory. Under her lowered eyelashes there are two dark shadows, and her eyes are swollen as if she had cried. She is all dressed in white. Mary starts at a loud, resolute knocking at the door. She lays the staff and spindle down and rises to go and open. Although her dress is loose and wide, it does not conceal the rotundity of her pelvis. Joseph is standing in front of her. Mary turns pale, also in her lips. Her face is so bloodless that it looks like a host. Mary looks at Joseph with sad, inquiring eyes. Joseph looks at her with imploring ones. They are both silent, looking at each other. Then Mary says, "'At this time, Joseph, is there anything you need?' What do you want to tell me? Come in. Joseph enters and closes the door. He is still silent. Speak, Joseph. What is it you want from me? I want you to forgive me. Joseph bends down as if he wanted to kneel down, but Mary, who is always so reserved in touching him, seizes him resolutely by his shoulders and stops him. Mary's face blushes and blanches in rapid succession. One moment it is all red, "'and immediately afterwards it is as white as snow as it was before. "'You want me to forgive you?' she says. "'I have nothing to forgive you, Joseph. "'I can but thank you once again for everything you have done here "'while I was away, and for your love for me.' "'Joseph looks at her, and I can see two large tears "'welling up in the cavity of his deep eyes. "'They remain there as if they were on the rim of a vase.' and then they rolled down onto his cheeks and his beard. Forgive me, Mary. I mistrusted you. Now I know. I am not worthy of having such a treasure. I lacked in charity. I accused you in my heart. I accused you unfairly, because I did not ask you to tell me the truth. I sinned against God's law, because I did not love you as I loved myself. Oh, no, says Mary, you have not sinned. And Joseph says, Yes, I have, Mary. If I had been accused of such a crime, I would have defended myself. But you, I was not giving you the possibility of defending yourself, because I was about to take a decision without questioning you. I have been unfair to you, because I offended you with my suspicion. Also, a single suspicion is an offense, Mary. Who suspects, does not know. And I did not know you as I should have done. But for the torment I suffered, three days of torture. Forgive me, Mary. And Mary says, I have nothing for which to forgive you. On the contrary, I ask you to forgive me for the pain I caused you. Joseph says, Oh, yes, it was a great pain. What a torture. Look, I was told this morning that my temples are white-haired and my face wrinkled. These past days have been more than ten years of my life. But why, Mary, have you been so humble as to conceal your glory from me, your spouse, and thus allow me to suspect you? Joseph is not on his knees, but he has bent so low that he is as good as kneeling down. And Mary lays her tiny hand on his head and smiles. She seems to be absolving him, and she whispers, If I had not been humble in the most perfect manner, I would not have deserved to conceive the expected one who is coming to pay for the sin of pride that ruined man. And then I obeyed. God had requested such obedience. It cost me so much, because of you, because of the pain that you were to suffer. But I could but obey. I am the handmaid of the Lord, and servants do not discuss the orders they receive. They fulfill them, Joseph, even if they cause bitter tears. Mary weeps quietly while speaking so quietly that Joseph, bent down as he is, does not notice it until a tear falls on the floor. He then lifts his head and, it is the first time I see him do this, he presses Mary's little hands in his dark strong ones and kisses them. Now we shall have to arrange for... Joseph does not say anything else, but he looks at Mary's body and she becomes purple and sits suddenly to avoid her figure being exposed to eyes watching her. We shall have to make haste. I will come here. We will complete the wedding next week. Is that all right? And Mary says, Whatever you do is all right, Joseph. You are the head of the family. I am your servant. Joseph says, No, I am your servant. I am the happy servant of my Lord, who is growing in your womb. You are blessed amongst all women of Israel." This evening I will warn my relatives, and after, when I am here, we will work to prepare everything to receive. Oh, how can I receive God in my house, God in my arms? I will die of joy. I will never dare touch him. I will never be able. And Mary says, You will be able, as I will, by the grace of God. But you, you are, and I, I am only a poor man, the poorest of God's children, says Joseph. Jesus is coming to us, says Mary, poor people, to make us rich in God. He is coming to us, too, because we are the poorest and we admit it. Rejoice, Joseph! The house of David has the king long waited for, and our home will become more splendid than Solomon's palace, because heaven will be here, and we shall share with God the secret of peace that men will be acquainted with later. He will grow among us, our arms will be the cradle for the redeemer, and our work will procure bread for him. O oh, Joseph, we will hear the voice of God calling us father and mother. Oh cries Mary with joy, such happy tears. And Joseph, who is kneeling at her feet, is weeping with his head almost hidden in Mary's white dress, which falls and folds onto the plain pavement of the room. The Virgin Mary now says to us No one must interpret my pallor erroneously. It was not caused by human fear. From a human point of view, I should have expected to be stoned to death, but I was not afraid because of that. I was suffering because of Joseph's pain. Neither was I upset by the thought that he might accuse me. I was only sorry and afraid that he might be lacking in charity if he should insist in his accusation." That is why all my blood rushed to my heart when I saw him. It was the moment when even a just man might have offended justice by offending charity, and I would have been extremely upset if a just man were to commit an error since he never erred. Had I not been humbled to the very extreme limit, as I told Joseph, I would not have deserved to bear within me him who was lowering himself, God, to the humiliation of being a man in order to make reparation for the pride of the human race. I have shown you that scene which is not described by any of the Gospels because I want to draw the excessively misguided attention of men to the conditions which are essential to please God and receive his continuous calls to your hearts. Faith. Joseph believed the heavenly messenger's words unquestioningly. He wanted but to believe, because he was sincerely convinced that God is good, and that since he had hoped in the Lord, the Lord would not have reserved for him the torture of being betrayed, disappointed, and sneered at by his neighbors. He asked for nothing but to believe in me, because, being honest, it was painful for him to think that other people were not honest. He lived according to the law. And the law says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. We love ourselves so much that we think we are perfect even when we are not. Can we therefore not love our neighbor simply because we think he is faulty? So Mary says that Joseph had faith because he suffered for three days, but the third night he received a vision from an angel of God informing him that Mary was carrying the son of God, the Messiah that they had all been waiting for and then he understood what was happening. Mary says that the first condition that we must have in our hearts is faith. Secondly, she continues and she says, unrestricted charity, a charity that knows how to forgive, that wants to forgive, and forgive in advance, excusing wholeheartedly the imperfections of our neighbors, It is necessary to forgive immediately, accepting every extenuating circumstance. Mary says we should forgive immediately. This is something I believe in also. If you don't forgive as immediately as possible, you carry that anger and hurt and resentment in your heart. You become an angry and bitter bitter and miserable person. We don't want to be people like that. We want to be people open to love and kindness and humility and courage and forgiveness as immediate as possible is what helps us to keep positive and following God's laws and rules. Mary continues and she says the next condition to have is humility. As unrestricted as charity, you must admit that you can be faulty even in simple thoughts and you must not be so proud as to refuse to say I made a mistake because such pride would be more harmful than the previous fault. Everybody makes mistakes, with the exception of God. Who can say, I am never wrong? And there is a more difficult humility, the one that knows how to keep silent about God's wonderful things in us, when it is not necessary to proclaim them for his glory, so that we might not discourage our neighbor who has not received such special gifts from God. If he wants, oh, if he only wants, God reveals himself in his servant. Elizabeth saw me for what I was. My spouse knew me for what I was when it was time for him to know. Leave to the Lord the care of proclaiming you his servants. He is anxious to do so because every creature that rises to a particular mission is a new glory which is added to his infinite glory and is a witness of what man is as God wanted him to be, a lesser perfection that reflects its author. Remain in shadow and silence, you who are beloved by grace, so that you may hear the only words of life, that you may deserve to have on you and in you the sun that shines eternally. O most blessed light, God, joy of your servants, Do shine on those servants of yours that they may exult in their humility, praising you, only you, because you disperse the proud but raise the humble who love you to the splendor of your kingdom. So Mary talks about faith, unrestricted charity, and humility as virtues for the servants of God. Good examples that she and Joseph both show to us as how to behave.